all of the work is about strong, powerful women. It's even, for example, the fact that the poses that often they're, they're naked from the waist up, but it's not done in a kind of any kind of titillating way. It's very, it's essential. It's about power and it's about strength and, and it's not an exploitative kind of naked female figure. Hello, beautiful people. This is Rajiv and welcome to episode number 25. It's been a hectic few weeks with work and school, so I took a bit of a break between episodes. Anyways, we're finally here and I'm stoked to bring you this conversation with one of my favorite artists, Matt Herring. He's a mixed media artist based out of London. His work is a mix of photography, illustration, painting, gold foil, and much, much more. There's a lot of nature in his work as well. Don't forget to check out his work on his website or on Instagram. I will link that up in the show notes below. But before that, we have Matt Herring. So thanks, Matt. Thanks for accepting the invite. Super thrilled to have you on the show. A pleasure. So just to start off, I don't know how you popped up on my feed. I was actually doing some research for my school assignment, I think, for screen printing and mixed mm. media work as mm-hmm. part of my studio process. And one of the research assignments I had to look up five artists and right why i like their work <laughs> so i did so just doing some research on generally googling people and on instagram and stuff so you actually popped up on my feed that's how <laughs> it's like <laughs> that's how a lot of people discover each other these days i think is on instagram um yeah and now uh, you're part of my research assignment <laughs> how fantastic is that <laughs> I'm flattered, Rajiv, honestly. I had a recent, this happened with some school children that contacted me. Somebody else, and their school teacher happened to come across my work on Instagram too. And then they based their little project on, but I think these 11 year old early senior school kids, and they did a little project around, around my work. And I was so flattered, so flattered. <laughs> I worked for all these big clients and I got more of a buzz from that than I had from working for Nike and British Airways. It's, uh, it's a strange one. You like to think that what you do has some kind of impact on people. I think because my career was, the last 25 years has really been illustration. So really the commercial side, so business to business. So working for brands, working for magazine covers, fashion brands and, and so on. But what you end up doing once you've given the work to the art director or the client, you don't get any further feedback. You don't see anybody that's seen the magazine. You don't see anybody that's passed the billboard poster or seen the ad in the newspaper. You see, you get no feedback. So it was on to the next. So it's so nice to hear from people that have seen the work and, and how they've appreciated it. So, I mean, that's one of the, the most gratifying parts of this. It's not necessarily about standing back and looking what I've what I've achieved in terms of that particular piece. It's hearing people's feedback and hearing, and if people are prepared to actually purchase some of the work that's that's for me is incredible it's, it's the biggest endorsement that, that you can receive really more so than working for these as i say these big brands don't get me wrong it was the first time i got my work published in a magazine or on a magazine cover or an advertising it was it was a massive thrill that was 25 years ago and and now it's it, it become my job doing that working with hundreds of different clients over the years it, it was very much a kind of nine to five or or more than a nine to five in the hours I was putting in, but it, it, it became very much like a job. So I was kind of answering the briefs and the briefs were coming in thick and fast at one stage and, and it became very much my job. It was my, 
it was my vacation, but it was also my job. It was, oh, I went to work every day, even if there wasn't a deadline that day, I was still up at my desk at 9am or earlier and still stayed late working because there's always things to do, whether it be self-promotion or your books or, although my mum helps me with my books a lot, <laughs> I'd be lost without her <laughs> on that side of things. I'm pretty useless, but so yeah, this new, fairly new evolution into working back in the fine art area, fine art, as opposed to the, which is obviously more a, a consumer um, business to consumer in a way, if you look at it, uh, whereas the illustration commercial art was very much business to business, B2B. So it is, it is very different and I, I, it's been a new lease of life for me for sure. Right. This style that you have right now, yeah, which is photographic, a lot of mixed media, do you Mm. Actually, do your own photography or is it collected work? A lot of the work you may have seen with the female portraiture, that's a lot of that is sourced photography. I mean, through my through my illustration career, I was often supplied images from, you know, the clients. So say if it's a celebrity piece, I'll be supplied the picture of Angelina Joni and Brad Pitt or whatever the piece was about, they'd supply the photography. So what I ended up doing is using that photography and then creating the image. So it was bringing all these different things. But there were other, other times where I needed a, say a, a figure that in a certain position. And so I would set up a shot in the studio with a model, but really that would only, I'd only do that if I had the budget to do that. So, cause obviously I'd, I'd need to hire some studio time, hire a model, and that could be a day out of them in terms of the brief time. It could be a day out. So it was always for me much quicker and much more efficient to source the exact picture I wanted and then conglomerate them into kind of one finished image. And that's what I became, I suppose, quite adept at was taking lots of disparate images, whether it be source photography, my own photography, drawing, mark making, bringing it all together in this fairly well considered, quite honed piece of finished work, which as well as having to look beautiful a lot of the time, it had to have an aesthetic, but also had to have a story. It used to have a narrative because with a magazine, for example, it, or a magazine cover, it's not just about putting something pretty on there and it looking beautiful. You know, there has to be some sort of story or narrative contained within it, which relates to the article or to the brief from the designer, or if they're trying to advertise whatever it might be. I mean, I did tail fin design for British Airways. I was doing these silk screens and, and they were going to potentially be on the, on the tail fin of British Airways and, or Nike. And this was all fairly early in my career. So I had to kind of grapple with working for these big brands uh, and producing things which not only answered the brief, but had some aesthetic as well. So that's kind of fed into continuing now in, in, with what I do with my fine art, my mixed media, is that I'm taking, it might be some from a fashion photo shoot, not necessarily the one that I've, I've shot myself or anything. It's, this is from a picture library. And then it's manipulating those. So say, for example, the females that I use might not have tattoos on, but I know I get the tattoos, which might relate to the, the theme of that right. particular piece, like headpiece, if it's birds, or if it's uh, South Asian inspired, it's certain tattoos, which relate to that country. And I've just done a I've just been to Mexico and seen all the amazing murals on the walls and the Day of the Dead stuff, which right. all of that influences me. So now I've come back and I'm producing a piece which is all related to that. So travel definitely inspires as well. But no, in answer to your question, some a lot of the lot of the resources are licensed images that I that I I would then use and and, and pull together. But you know there are occasions where that's not the case, and I have. I've shot the, done, done the photo shoot. I change and manipulate the images so much from their original state because it's not right. just pure photography. I mean, if you looked at some of the mm. images before they were, before I added texture to them, changed them tonally, added tattoos to them, for example, even the makeup that I put on it, if it's a black and white figure, that's all something that's put on afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Your work is, it's, it's sort of a collage of lots. So you do a lot of 
painting on it. You add a lot of mm. foil, gold and silver foil mm. to it. Like, how did that all come about? I went to, to, to a place called Coventry, which is in the, in, in the Midlands of um, the UK. I did my first year there after doing a foundation course and after doing A-levels and stuff. There's a one-year foundation where you kind of experiment with all the different, I don't know whether you have that in New Zealand, but you experiment with all different things. So you do some silk screen printing, you do some etching, you do some drawing, you do some painting, you do some sculpting. And then you decide what discipline you want to specialize in, and then you go on to apply for your degree course. So that's what I did. And I was very much doing the fine art, life drawing and, and painting. And so I, I applied to, to Coventry to do a BA in fine art. And the course just didn't, really didn't suit me. And I wasn't happy there. I wasn't happy with particularly with where I was living. And, and it was a really uncomfortable year. And, and speaking to other friends that had, that had gone on to other creative courses, they were having a whale of a time and really enjoying the course. And so I, I took the quite, I suppose, bold decision looking back on it now just to, to leave Coventry and apply completely somewhere else in the, in the country. So I spoke to friends and I decided to apply to Leeds, which is again, as in, in Yorkshire, is a bit further north, and apply to a BA in graphic arts and designs, I presume very similar to the course you're doing. But it had more of, more of a design-led, as well as it being quite fine art-based in terms of printmaking, there was, there was more of a vocational edge to it and because there was people doing illustration and, and graphic design as well as printmaking. I decided to do printmaking and that's where I discovered my sort of love of silkscreen printing. And so, and we did etching and lithography and all the different, really traditional processes. But that's when I started looking at other artists and obviously type, you know, obviously Warhol, Rauschenberg, all those kind of really famous American prominent pop artists. And that really influenced my work because I was, and I found the photography side of things and certainly the human form came more into it. So I was doing less drawing and more printmaking. That swept through and then I ended up just loving silkscreen because the marks you can make, you can paint on it, you can use photographic imagery, you can duplicate things. Just it, it opened up a whole arena for me of obviously because you had to learn how to, to mix the color as well. So that kind of that process of doing things by hand really fed into my Photoshop. So then what I ended up doing in Photoshop was trying to mimic in a way that handmade feel to things. So adding textures right. and half tones and sprays and paints and things to the photography. So it kind of looked as if it might be a silk screen. That's what some of these other techniques of, of adding texture to the for next to the photography and adding mark making. And I think the juxtaposition of, of certain things like black and white skin tones against a pop of color or background, which is metallic and it's a different texture and a different, it's got a different surface and feel to, to the, some of those more photographic elements. That creates something quite unique dynamic between those two different textures or three textures or four textures. And then you can add some 3D things like some feathers in there as well. And it just all adds to the depth of the piece. And it's, right. it's not just a straight photograph. So I think that's kind of where that, that idea of mixing things and, and creating something which is deliberately mixed media is. I'm not trying to present something which is a glossy finished kind of photograph and I've, I've even in photoshop i try to it's not just straight collage of photographs together it's there mm -hmm. needs to be more than that because to often to tell a story you might cr create a an, an environment or an atmosphere with the color palette that you use i mean i often use a reduced color palette with some of the because because i still as well as the art stuff say the art stuff that's the fine art work having the work on the wall just as, as a saleable thing i still do the commercial things but I'm, i could kind of pick and choose now and so i still have that um, running in kind of tandem with the work that I produce now, but, but I'm fortunate enough to be able to kind of select the commercial work that I want to do. Cause I think what was happening was I spent 25 years or 20 years in front of a computer and I was had a terrible neck and it was cause it was, cause I was literally at the computer 12 hours a day sometimes. And that's, 
that was leading into your ability through lockdown to change and pivot and do something new. It was the same for me. It's, although it started a little bit before, but I was like, I want to need to get away from the computer and start doing things in the real world. And that's how <laughs> this led into, how can I do this? And I started doing the mixed media pieces because that's what I enjoyed doing. And I, and I think they all inform each other so that the silk screen informs the Photoshop work, the Photoshop yeah. informs the collage work. And it, it's all one thing. I don't see it as different because I often set the work up in Photoshop and work out colors and compositions. And then it, when it comes to doing the other work, then the, the gold leaf and then the mark making. So it's very much a process and it's a process that you go through and it, it's quite organic. And it, the starting photograph is, is so far removed. I mean, some of the time I would challenge some people to, to see the original photograph of the model and then say, well, that's the same person because, you know, if it's in symmetry, I, I will, I'll, I'll cut the face and body in half and then I'll flip it. So it's exact symmetry so that you wouldn't notice that looking at it. But if you were to look at the photo, which wasn't um, symmetrical, you, it wouldn't look as polished and as clean and as, and as beautiful and as symmetrical right. as it would if it was, because everybody's, nobody's face is completely symmetrical on both sides, but it's just doing these little things, which although they're done digitally, you know, you don't see that when it's, when it's in the collage. One of the things that really pop for me in your in your work is that your eye is attracted towards the center and it's usually black and white while yeah. all the colors outside yeah and there's a really three-dimensional quality to your mm. work where mm. it's sort of layered and the the birds and the feathers almost pop out of mm. frame almost yeah and um, your work of that the paint dripping down that sort of merges everything together. Yeah, you're right. I mean, if you were to just take a collage and stick it straight down and then yeah. you're like, hey, presto, that's done. You've got to integrate every different technique. The gold leaf has got to work in tandem. So, I, for example, I don't just put the gold leaf behind. I, I, I choose points where it might drip from a butterfly wing, for example. So that's all planned out before. So it, make, so there's, it makes sense that the, the collage and the gold leaf work in tandem. It's not you put gold leaf down and you slap something on top. There's, there needs to be some thought process and some reasoning behind the way you use the different materials. And it's about pushing, because I mean, traditionally, I mean, part of the reason that, that, that it's a kind of halo effect, it's the very much the, the iconic portraits that quite, the orthodox portraits that you had, the religious portraits. You had this gold halo and it was all around the portrait, but it was very, it was very considered and it was very sharp gold disc it was a halo essentially so i've taken that idea of these modern day deities with these with these different headdresses and i've merged those two concepts but i've then tried to take it a little bit further by adding in texture into the gold leaf which you don't often see by layering up paint drips because everything you put gold leaf on whatever's underneath will show through so i took advantage of that and then used a very thick particular glue to uh, that you'd hear with the gold leaf and that forms the drips so then that 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 changes it again so it's not just gold leaf it's right it's, a, it's, it's got a three-dimensional quality to it which you couldn't yeah. have in photoshop or something because yeah yeah it almost reminds me of photographs or the images of indian mm. female go goddesses uh, especially yeah. durga and kali okay i'm gonna write i'm gonna i'm gonna write these down <laughs> <laughs> i'll write these names down yeah so okay. they are this really fierce characters so re she's a really fierce <laughs> goddess i'm gonna look those up <laughs> yeah i love that i mean all the, all of the work is about strong powerful women it's even for example the fact that 
the poses that often they're, they're naked from the waist up, but it's not done in a kind of any kind of titillating way. It's very, it's essential. It's about power and it's about strength and, and it's not an exploitative kind of naked female figure. It's so far removed from that. So I'm very conscious of that, whether it's, there's an inherent power in all of the female shots that I use. And that's true in the sense of how they're named and the headdresses. And it's, I mean, it really is a, a mix of sort of modernity and, and antiquity together. So you've got the, you've got the modern tattoos, for example, but you've got this right. kind of fairly regal, traditional, sometimes whether it be my a Mayan or well, I've just been to Mexico, you can tell, but it could be Aztec. A lot of the um, ancient cultures had this headdress. A lot of them have snakes, right. all the symbolism within the butterflies, the snakes, the birds, this is, this all feeds into this, this notion of modern day deities. And again, this, you've got this You've got this gold, which is a religious iconic. The most cultures, if, if you look at them, whether it be Thai culture, Indian culture, Catholic culture, there's, the, the, there's often these kind of iconic looking yeah. traditional religious um, iconography with the, with the gold. So that all feeds in, but it's mixing the Victorian botanical illustration with quite modern makeup. So it, all of these things are, in my mind, are combined to create something which is it's, you wouldn't look at it and th immediately think, oh, this is some, something that was done in the 19th century or 18th century. This is something that's quite modern, but using tr traditional techniques like the gold leaf and some of the painting, but it's clearly got a, a, a modern element to this because having worked for fashion magazines and Vogue and Vanity Fair, and I got to deal with these incredible looking and almost other worldly models that just look so perfect figures. I mean, obviously some of the, some of the stuff is manipulated as we, <laughs> we know through the, through the recent years, less so now, but you know, the, this idea of perfection, this, this notion that with the, these, these magazines that you're holding up this idea of the, the, the perfect human form. And again, that's kind of feeding into my artwork as well, because I've had to, you know, have all these pictures that I've, I've used, I've been supplied by the client to, to use. And it's maybe a slight obsession with things looking, having an aesthetic and looking not perfect, but, but, but it's important that things look beautiful to me. So, right. so in, in my work that really, I hope that comes through and maybe it would be, I mean, I have plans to do some more, not grungy, but something a bit more uh, urban and something because these portraits are quite considered and they're symmetrical and they're, there's a lot of balance and, and the composition is very symmetrical as well. I think doing something outside of that, which I plan to be doing soon, could be an interesting... Um... There, there were some graffiti-based portraits as well, which is mm -hmm. not the female-focused. Yeah, I mean, I've recently acquired some fly-by-fly -fly posters, the illegal billboard posting. I'm not talking about the billboard posting on the big boards, the ones that you see on the side of derelict buildings that are advertising the latest club night or something. A lot of people do this, but I've taken some of those posters down. And I'm going to use them as sort of collage material. <laughs> London is still clearly, it's an urban environment. And you've got these things that have influenced me through the years. And it's a popular culture as well. We, we've all experienced this. I've grown up in an urban environment where all of this stuff plays into the popular culture, whether it's obviously having worked for magazines and brands. There is this popular culture edge to the work, which is a kind of a pop art, I suppose, a pop art thing in the same way that the other famous artists have used similar kind of approaches, you know, taking elements from their own environment and that, that feeds into the work. And I certainly think some of those things like the graffiti that I've used or the typography, which I've had to, which I sometimes use in my commercial work, that all feeds into it. So this notion of fashion, I feel like something like a ripped poster can really feel like it's appropriate because you're kind of revealing the different layers. And it's also that throwaway nature of, 
uh, popular culture and that throwaway nature of these ripped posters as well. I mean, lots of people do it. I mean, if you, you only have to look on Instagram to find lots of people using this kind of ripped fly poster or ripped paper thing, because it's a really, it's an interesting vehicle to, to mix lots of different, again, really disparate kind of posters that might be advertising whatever, a club night or advertising a, the latest of clothing or what, whatever it is. But it's by tearing back, you're, you're get, almost going back through time, tearing back, right. you've got these different layers. And, and if you mix some figurative things in with that, you start immediately getting a really interesting juxtaposition of different elements that, that a lot of artists, collage artists anyway, find fascinating. It's that putting one, one thing next to another, which doesn't normally fit, but when you do it, there's something about it, which which works. So even doing something like that with some gold leaf, which would be completely left field in terms of bringing that sort of material into a collage. So I think it's sometimes you have to try and try these things and, and, and push the different techniques and see what works. And, and, and sometimes it, it fails and sometimes it works, but until you try these things, you're never going to know. That's Nothing. the beauty of experiments, right? Yeah. You never know yeah. how it, exactly. how it, how it goes. Right. <laughs> but what's your interest in nature? It's, uh, it runs through all, almost mm. all your work. I'm a very much an out outdoorsy kind of person. I mean, I snowboard every year and I was very, always very sporty as a child growing up. And, and I've had, I've had dogs a lot of my adult life and more or less every day I'm out, even myself and my wife are out in nature and we're going to places to walk the dog. And having moved a bit further out of London now, we have a nice big garden and there's foxes in the garden. We see bats, we see squirrels, we have woodpeckers, we have jays, we have all these incredible nature. And we're only on the train sort of 25 minutes away from Victoria, central London. So we are so, I'm so, feel so fortunate that we have this this garden, which is kind of, we only moved here sort of just over a year ago, but just taking such pleasure in just observing nature in the garden. And one of the first pieces that I did, which was a kind of a Mohican of feathers, I don't know if you've seen it, that was, yeah. those feathers were all collected on dog walks. So I was out and I was, I clicked, I picked up all these different feathers I'd seen and I, then I photographed them and then I changed the colors and then put them into this sort of headdress. And that was one of the first pieces that I created for sale. I did an edition of silkscreen prints in it because I wanted to get back to my roots, I suppose. And so there's an example, I suppose, of how nature informs my everyday walking in the woods, for example, has kind of informed that. And then when you start doing a little bit of research about, I mean, just on a, that trip to Mexico, uh, we went to the Mayan, uh, went to Chichen Itza, which is a, almost like a pyramid shaped ancient uh, Mayan, Mayan relic. I say relic, it's still very much intact. But if you look at the headdresses there and you look at the, how significant the birds were and how they integrated the symbolism of those, even back th thousands of years ago. So for me, it's creating these modern deities that they are, they're modern in the sense that these are fashion models. They're tattooed with very modern looking, their poses could be deemed to be quite there. So, and you've, and you, you set that next to these headdresses, which are very, in a way, very traditional. And you've got this wildlife, the symbolism of bees, the symbolism of butterflies, symbolism of birds, caterpillars, rejuvenation, all these kind of things feed into themes. So it's not, you want to leave some open interpretation to the viewer. You don't want to kind of force feed people what this is about, but you know, it's the integral beauty and aesthetic in the work is really important to me. And that's probably the comment I get the most is, oh, your work is really beautiful. How about artists? Who are your like major influences? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I look around at the, the uh, kind of artists that I suppose my peers now, but I mean, I, th I think like you're loving the silk screen, I, I, I always, I was drawn to people like Robert Rauschenberg, who is American pop artist and Richard Hamilton and and obviously Warhol as well. Those kind of pop artists, and I looked at Lichtenstein and all those guys from sort of, I suppose, post-war artists in the 1950s, 1960s, when, you know, that, 
that notion of popular culture and taking things that are in the commercial, you know, whether it be posters or celebrities like Marilyn Monroe and, and, and looking at their process as well. And Rauschenberg, for example, did a tour around the world where he went to Mexico. He's in, in Africa and he, he went around and he, I've got this amazing book which shows he's just picked up different bits of ephemera whether it be a bit of poster or a flyer or he's taken photographs or the people from there and the architecture and he's he's mixed it and he's created this this almost narrative for each of the cities or places that he's been to and that really inspired me when I was at college and that still fed through now I mean I try not to be too influenced by other people because you know everybody's slightly derivative in the sense that nothing I believe nothing you create is completely unique there's always elements that you've taken from here or there but you know there's a big difference between taking things and copying things you can take right. elements from things that you appreciate whether it be from an artist or from something commercial they can inform what you do and you could take something from something that you've seen it could be interiors it could be architectural lines and drawings something that that, that aesthetically works and you, you take all those different things and you bring them into your creative process. I just looked at growing up, certainly Picasso and all those you know, turn of the century type artists. That's the stuff that I was looking at through school and then through through university, that changed into sort of, I suppose, more later 20th century artists. Now I take some inspiration from fashion and I look at colour palettes that are in vogue at, at, at the moment, the colour trends that are in interiors and things that I, I might see a piece of wallpaper that I like. So all these kind of things inform the practice really and I, I it's not I, I try not to have my work as some sort of homage to an artist but there's certainly some influences there that come from artists that um that I've grown up with I suppose I mean I love Rothko if you look at Rothko some of the big canvases I saw them fairly recently went in the tape and they're incredible they're nothing like my work but you know you, just in terms of the color palette he uses and the subtlety of least the color palette he uses and just the scale of his work as well I mean that's the next thing is is to do some bigger pieces I think scale right. is so important to the impact of the work. And a lot of my limited edition prints are kind of, they were A1 in size. And now the mixed media are sort of AO in size. And now I'm going to do double that soon. So scale is important for sure, I think. And also the commercial work, you often saw it in quite a small format in a magazine. So it was often, even if it was a magazine cover, it was a full page A4, but that's still not very big. Right. So working on a bigger scale changes the dynamic of the piecing so much that, that I'm, I'm enjoying working on a larger scale for sure. Yeah. So have you thought of like doing murals and stuff like that? I'd like to maybe work on a larger scale. I wonder how I'd, because a lot of it is, you might, I might have to paste up large large areas of so it wouldn't be like a lot of mural artists i think it's spray paint artists and that gives you the facility to to cover large areas but i know some people that do in interior murals which are paper and collage i've got a friend who, who's the same agent as me and went to the same college as me he, he's a brilliant he's a brilliant collage artist and he papered this cafe floor to ceiling and across the ceiling and that was incredible to see that i'd love to do a job like that but uh, <laughs> yeah i mean there's lots of options and i think it's it's choosing what what works with your approach as well and i th certainly think the scale up in the scale is going to be something i am um, work towards for sure so what next matt like where do you think uh, this whole journey is going to go for you i don't want to just keep pressing the repeat button i know that they've become quite popular the image imagery that i'm i'm creating and but I don't think you can rest on your laurels too much. I think you need to push things and change, change things up. And so, but that process can often be a gradual one. I don't want to suddenly wholesale change everything and decide to go and go down a completely different road. But it's important to just for your own kind of sanity that you're not just repeating the same thing over and over again. And I think there is, there's sometimes a danger in doing that as an artist when you've um, hit on something that is, is proven to be 
quite popular and there's lots of people doing and producing similar work to me. I'm not the, I'm not the originator of this particular style, I don't think. And there's lots of people that are doing similar kind of portraiture work. So it's, I think it's a case of keeping it fresh for you. And, and if you do that, and if you're honest with yourself, and if you're true to yourself, you will develop through. And often it's about, as, as I was saying to you earlier, it's about the journey that you take without sounding too cliched, but you have to let the process lead you a little bit. I don't think you can say, right, in six months time, I want to do this. You need to have some structure within your work. And I think I, I, I always had that. And I've always had that because of my commercial work. It was very much a vocation and I had to be, I had to be at the coalface, so to speak, every day. And I think now that I've got a bit more freedom, now I can explore some new things, but I still, there's, there's still a level of commercial, uh, the, needs to be a level of commercial consideration due to the way you go because you know, you've still got to pay your bills and pay the mortgage and but you've also got to satisfy yourself creatively and I think if you're true to that and you do that and you have a, a, some level of ability then or some sort of track record of having some fairly I suppose appealing images that people want to have then I think what you do that if people will follow that and hopefully appreciate it as much. Fascinating talking with you and learning about your journey just to close off this chat what will be your advice to somebody who wants to get into fine art? Will you encourage people to get into fine art as a career choice, as a professional choice today or no? Yeah, I think it's in the same way I was talking to you about photographers that have, that have people have got into photography because of the advent of digital cameras. I think the same is, is true now with, with things like Instagram or any of the social media platforms. People see lots of people producing artwork and, and now you can sell your work on Instagram. You can sell your work on Facebook if you wanted to. There's, these, there's, there's, there's now the facility to be for anybody to, to, to sell what they produce. So that's encouraged a lot of people. And I think it has enabled people to start up little you know, cottage industries or little businesses that might have been quite craft-based, but then they've realized, hey, people are buying my work and now I can do this as a profession. I would say don't miss out the groundwork that you need to that you need to put in. It's like we talked about the color mixing, the composition, understanding the process. And and there's so many, I mean, I, I chuckle all the time when I see certain accounts on Instagram where they've absolutely blatantly just copied somebody. It's not even trying to <laughs> disguise the fact that, they, that they've copied somebody's work. That I, I would say, if you can, try and be true and, and try and be original. But if you've got that ability to produce, I can't think there's not too many careers that are more satisfying than the one I'm in, I don't think. I'm, I feel very fortunate. So I would absolutely encourage people, but don't try and shortcut it or circumvent. You've got to put in the apprenticeship and the groundwork. I would always encourage people to be creative. And if they can sell their work, then they're incredibly fortunate and they should pursue that with all the vigor they can. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Just uh, fascinating talking with you. Thanks for your time. No, it's been really great talking to you and hearing your journey as well. That was Matt Herring. Thanks a lot, Matt, for your time. It was a privilege talking to you about your work and your journey. You can check out his work on mattherringart.com or on Instagram. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Till the next episode, stay safe and keep clicking. <laughs>